If you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to open up to Mark chapter 5. All right, Mark chapter 5 is where we are going to be today. Mark is one of what's called the Gospels, which is a book that shares a lot of the story of Jesus' ministry. All right, so I'm, I'm just so glad we could be here this morning. We are going to be starting a new series that we are calling Altered. All right, Altered. The idea is simply this. Uh, we're going to take a look at situations in Scripture where people had an interaction with Jesus and their life was completely changed or altered. We won't be uh, able to look at every single one of these instances. Like the Bible is filled with this, but I want to pull out uh, a few of them that I think sometimes maybe get overlooked. Like there's the stories that we always talk about, pastors always preach on. I want to look at some of them that I think, you know, if you've gone to church, you've probably heard them before, but maybe we've never really kind of dove into them and looked at them. So uh, I want us just to kind of remember this though this morning. Every single time we open up the Bible, we have another chance, we have another opportunity to experience Jesus in a way that can change us, right? Every time we open the Bible. So what I want from us this morning is for us to just get ready to encounter Jesus in a new way, uh, to allow him to speak to us, and uh, hopefully for our lives to be changed forever because of what he speaks to us right here this morning. So let's just kind of be ready for that. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me across the room as I read through? Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. I'm starting in verse 1. We're going to be reading down to verse 20. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. God, I pray this morning as we dig into this uh, passage, this moment in your life, that we would just be challenged in a new way. God, that you would open our eyes to something we maybe haven't seen before, 
Or maybe this is the first time we're even hearing this story, God, and that it would be something that would truly impact us. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Uh, as we read through the Gospels, the, again, there are stories that just get more attention that I think we know a little bit better, that pastors really like to speak on. You know, you have like the, the woman at the well that Jesus interacts with. You have the, the woman that's caught in adultery. You have, you have these different stories that, that just kind of get talked about a lot. Uh, and then we have some that are just kind of like we might know them, but they're a little bit weird if we're honest. And this is one of those. I was, I was reading through and, and, and this one college professor is like, you know, I always get like asked certain questions in class. And it's things like, you know, why is there evil in the world and why is this? And this is a Bible class, you have Christians. He said, and usually one of the questions is, and what's up with the pigs? Like, why, why did 2,000 pigs go running off a cliff? And like, what is, what is the point of this story? Um, and I feel like this story is just one of those that uh, as you read through it, it just is a little bit, it's different. It's something we aren't really used to. So our scripture today it starts with Jesus and his disciples reaching the other side of the Sea of Galilee. All right, and it's important for us to understand a little bit of what's going on here prior to jumping into that. All right, so first we need to look at where does this story land in Scripture? Like, this is important, actually. The people that wrote the Gospels, they put the stories in specific spots for a certain reason. Sometimes it's because chronologically, time-wise, it happened that way. And there are other times where it seems like that isn't necessarily the case. All right, because these books are not meant to be read as if they are just a perfect history book of every moment of Jesus' life. Each one of the Gospels really is written more as what you would call like a per, uh, persuasive speech. Like each author has set out to prove to the reader that Jesus is the Messiah, and they have each gone about it a slightly different way. And so we want to look at where does this fall in the story and, and why does that matter for us. So this story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark and Luke are almost the exact same story. Matthew's a little different. In Mark and Luke, this story comes right after Jesus and the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee. There is a massive storm. Jesus is sleeping. He gets up and he calms the wind and the waves. All right, that, that's what happens. They are crossing over. He, he gets rid of the storm, and they get to the other side. All right, um, then we have them after this story. They get back into the boat. They cross back over to the other side. And at this moment, you have Jairus who shows up, and he says, My daughter is dying. Will you come and heal her? Jesus goes. A woman reaches out and touches his cloak. She is healed of a disease that she has had for many years. At this point, the daughter dies. Jesus goes and raises her from the dead. All right, so that this is the progression of this story and what's happening. All right, so that's important for us to know. Something else to understand. Jesus and his disciples were leaving the western shore, which was a primarily Jewish area, and going to the eastern or southeastern shore. Now, each one of the stories actually kind of gives a slightly different name of where they're going. That actually doesn't really matter. What matters is that we understand that this area that they're going to is predominantly Gentile, which means non-Jewish. Gentiles are anybody who is not Jewish. So they are leaving the Jewish area, and this is the first time that Jesus is setting out and going to an area that is particularly uh, Gentile. All right, and so they get in the boat. They travel somewhere around six to eight miles across. All right, the Sea of Galilee is smaller than like 
uh, Mille Lacs Lake, but that's kind of like probably the best thing that we could think of. All right, so they are sailing uh, across this uh, in normal conditions, in prime sailing conditions, you're talking six hours to get across. But when you look at the timing of this, it looks like they were out there all night crossing over in this storm. All right, so that's just a little bit of like what is going on here uh, that I think we need to know before we jump into this text. So, verse 1. It said, They arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists, smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I right, said, so this, this is the picture that we have here. All right, like stop and actually think about this. Like think about we're in Long Prairie, and let's say just south of town, out in, in the hills there, there is a guy running around doing this. Right? Like, how, how do we as townspeople of Long Prairie, how do we feel about this? Like, I want us to get this tension that is here. All right? Um, he has been cast away from society, away from friends and family, anything civilized, living out there. And, and this crazy guy is in a cemetery. He's naked. He runs around howling at the moon and screaming. Okay? So you're a parent trying to get your kid to go to sleep. Oh, don't, don't mind those noises. That's just, that's just him out there. He's just yelling at the moon. Like, think of, like, I have to calm my kids down because there's a weird shadow on the other side of the room. Okay, like, think about this moment of like, oh yeah, there actually is a guy out there. He's owling at the moon and cutting himself. Don't worry. You're fine. Go to sleep. Like, so this is, this is the situation that they're walking into. Uh, there's nothing really that the town can do about it. Uh, they just avoid that area. That's what they do. Verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him. Uh, with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, and get this, the, the demons are actually basically saying, they're asking God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. So he comes running up to Jesus on the other side of the lake. And Jesus seems to be com communicating more with the spirits that are inside of the man than the man himself. And these demons know who Jesus is. All right, now this is actually the first time that someone says who Jesus is. In the previous story, they're crossing over. Jesus gets up, calms the wind and the waves. And what do the disciples say? Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? So they're, they're still kind of questioning, like, who is this man? And they come over there, and you have uh, these spirits that immediately start saying exactly who he is. Verse 9, then Jesus demanded, what is your name? He replies, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. The evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distance, distant place. Happened to be a large herd of pigs on the hillside. They say, hey, send us into those pigs. The spirits begged, let us enter them. Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits come out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. All right, so these spirits, they say, my name is Legion. And something that we kind of miss nowadays, uh, is, there's a few things happening in this exchange. All right, now Legion 
was a term used by Roman soldiers. All right, and a legion of soldiers was about four to 6,000 men. That was a legion. So you have the, this demon who is saying our name is legion. It's a massive number. Now, he could be referring to there are four to 6,000 demons inside of this man. I mean, the demons went into 2,000 pigs. Like, it could be a massive number. But I th the other thing that's happening here is there is actually like this political commentary and humor that is going on. That like if, if we were first century Jews and we were reading through this, we would be laughing at this story. All right, because of kind of what's happening here. And, and think, of, think of it this way. Like pigs, nowadays, let's, let's change the animal to a, a donkey or an elephant. All right, do you, do you get that? Like, there is like this political thing that's kind of happening there. Rome is controlling this area. So you have a legion that represents Rome. And to the Jewish people going into pigs, which are the absolute most unclean animal there is. You know, in the Old Testament laws, they had all these laws about what was clean, what was unclean. Pigs were unclean. So were a bunch of different animals. But there was a lot of baggage surrounding pigs. Um, there, there's history that, that says that uh, Jewish people who were being persecuted and, and tortured at times would be forced to try to eat pig flesh, basically to denounce their God by eating something that they were specifically told not to eat. Like there was a lot of things going on uh, with, with pigs. So you have uh, the Roman military who's occupying Israel. And people hated them and wanted them gone. And then you have this thing with the pigs. And essentially what happens here is you have this picture of Rome going into pigs that, that the Jewish people despise both of these groups, running off the side of the hill and dying. And they would be like, this is an amazing story. I love what's happening. Like, they, they would absolutely love what's going on. Um, and, and it's just kind of another thing that, that we see here. Um, and in the midst of this miracle that Jesus is doing, I think something for us to realize is we get an insight into the spiritual world that we don't always see. All right, and some people can take it too far, and it's the, there is a demon behind every single bush. And some people are just like, there's absolutely nothing to do with it. Everything that was... Uh, Demon possession back in the Bible really nowadays would just be explained by different medical things. And that's kind of the two ends of it. And I think we need to be somewhere in the middle on this. And what we, what we see here and realize is the actual intent of the demons. And that is to kill and destroy. That, that is what happens. And we see that with the pigs here. Move on to verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, surrounding countryside. They, they're going, they're telling everybody what has happened. They're running around saying, you never believe what's going on. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. Uh, they, they see the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. All right, so this man who has been running around, howling at the moon, naked, living in a cemetery, which also is an unclean place. All right, uh, he is just sitting there at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, perfectly sane. And they were afraid of this. Then those who had seen what happened told others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. All right. So 
Apparently, just like today, when there is a big ruckus in town, everyone just starts showing up. Right? Like the other day, I was coming in from Sock Center on 71, and I should have turned and gone to my house, but I kept driving straight for another four blocks. You want to know why? Because I could see flashing lights. And it's just human nature. We're like, oh, what's going on down there? I, I should turn right here. My house is down that way, but I can take this little detour and see what's happening. And we have the same thing happening here. These guys are running through. They're saying, you'd never believe what happened. And everyone's like, really? All right, I need to go see this. And the whole town kind of starts coming out, and they're seeing what's going on. All right, they, they rush out there. And, and the man who has terrorized their town, the reason that no one would head out that direction, uh, the scary monster that they had to talk to their kids about uh, because their kids are too scared to go to bed, uh, he is just sitting there at Jesus' feet. Right? Like, they saw this guy as probably, at this point, less than human. And we can actually kind of assume that, because the, the Greek words that are used there when they say that they tried to tame him is a phrase you would use when talking about a wild beast. So they saw him as less than human, as basically a wild beast out there. And they come walking out, and he is sitting at Jesus' feet, perfectly calm and sane. And at this point, you'd think they would all be relieved and happy and celebrate, and they invite him back into town. Nope. They were afraid, and they told more people, and more people came. At this point, you'd be like, wow, this amazing thing that Jesus did. They start bringing their sick and anyone that has a disease and demon-possessed people to Jesus to be healed. Nope. They beg Jesus to leave. And I've often heard this story talked about the, like, people were mad about the pigs, and that's why they wanted Jesus to leave. And that might be a little part of that. I could understand that, because this is a massive part of their town's economy just went running off a cliff and died. And it's sad that that would probably be part of it because they are valuing this livestock more than this human's life that was completely changed. What we see more in this story is they're asking Jesus to leave simply because they're scared. They are scared of the changes that Jesus brought. They don't celebrate that this guy is healed. They are terrified that he is healed. They were comfortable with the way that life was. They had figured out how to deal with this crazy guy on the edge of town. And they wanted it kind of just left that way. Like, get this. They were more comfortable living with demons than the radical change that Jesus might bring. I don't think we always get that when we read through this story. We kind of gloss over what the town's doing, what's happening here. They were more comfortable with this man and his demons and what he was doing, then I wouldn't even say the change that happened in that man, but what probably happens in their mind is, if he did that, if he had the power to do that, what else could he do and change? And I don't know if I'm going to like what else he does. Because we tried everything we could do to fix this guy, to chain him down, to change him. And we couldn't do anything. And, and this guy's just sitting here. All right, last chunk of the scripture, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up with the way that I think that there's a few things in here that can really, if we understand, can change our lives. 
As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. All right, so this is weird. The man who Jesus just healed is begging Jesus to go with him. He wants to follow Jesus. He wants to leave everything behind. Now, this sounds familiar. We have heard Jesus say things like this. Jesus has said to people, follow me, leave everything else behind, leave your family behind. What matters is following me, right? Like, this is a reoccurring thing that Jesus says to people. All right, so we have this guy that wants to do exactly that. He wants to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. And instead, Jesus is saying, no, don't come with me. Go to your family. Like, this is the opposite of what we probably should expect in this situation. So what's going on here? All right, look at the rest of the story, too. Jesus grants the request of the demons. He grants the request of the townspeople to leave, but denies the request of the man that has been healed and is seemingly asking for exactly what he should be asking for. So I think what's important for us to remember here is, again, this area is predominantly Gentile. The nearby town would not allow 2,000 pigs to be on the outside of town if they were Jewish. Jesus often told them, uh, Jewish people, not to talk about what he did because he didn't want uh, his time of death to be expedited, basically. People getting upset because he's, he's doing these miracles and people think that he's the Messiah. So he'd often tell them to be quiet. This is a Gentile area. He does not have to worry about that. And in this moment, he is essentially commissioning the very first evangelist that we ever see. Right here in this passage. This is the first time that he tells someone to go and tell others about what he has done. And he is doing it with someone who is most likely Gentile and telling him to go to other Gentiles to share the news. This, is, this would have shocked the disciples, what is happening here. Because Jesus' ministry was to the Jewish people. And the very first time he says, go and tell someone about what has happened. It is someone who is not Jewish and going and telling people who are not Jewish. So this, life, this man's life has been restored through Jesus, and now Jesus is restoring the rest of it. He's saying, all right, I have gave you your sanity back. Now go back to your family. Be part of your family. Go back to your community. Be part of your community. Tell them about what I've done. Jesus gives him a family, a home, and a mission. And so many times the people that are the best at talking about what God has done are the people that have been the most radically transformed. You know that if he starts walking through there telling people what God did, people are going to be amazed. All right, so all this is great, but what, what does this mean for us? I wanted to kind of dive into some of the scripture. We don't always do this. We don't always dig out a lot of the, the context and background stuff here. Uh, but I, I want to tell us why I think we should care about the background details and what's happening. When we understand what is happening uh, to the best of our ability, when we understand what's happening in the passage, in their world, it allows us to bring it into our world and into today, our context, and apply it to our life. All right, so in doing so, it gives Jesus the same opportunity to alter my life and your life the same way that he did 2,000 years ago with somebody. 
So I think the first thing, as we kind of take it from its time and bring it here for us today, is this. Jesus wants to confront sin and its effects everywhere. All right, we have to not just look at our story from today, but the ones surrounding it. And when we do that, we see this. Jesus is engaging with the storm on the sea, the demons in the man, the sickness in the woman who is bleeding, and the death in Jairus' daughter. Jesus wages war on sin and its effects everywhere. Now, it may seem weird to say that him confronting the storm is waging war on sin, but we need to remember that when sin entered the world, our world started to just kind of fall apart. All right, so I am not saying that a storm happens, and I'm definitely not saying that today, that like massive weather things happen because of an individual sin of somebody or anything like that. What I'm saying is we live in a fallen world. The way that God created this world, there was not supposed to be earthquakes and tornadoes and these storms and these things happening. This is a result of sin that entered the world. So what is happening here, this is intentional, the way this is laid out. We see Jesus coming against the natural, the storm, the supernatural, the demons, over sickness and over death with the woman and Jairus' daughter. This, there is not a single area of your life or your world that Jesus does not want to be part of. That he does not want to confront Sin and its effects. All right, now that can sound really generalized and vague and almost impersonal. So the second thing is this. Jesus cares deeply about every individual. Jesus got into a boat, traveled all night long through a storm, confronted an unknown number of demons, sacrificed 2,000 pigs, and was then turned away and sent back to the other side of the lake just so that he could change one man's life. He cared that much about one individual that he went through all of this for that one man. It's easy to think that Jesus cares about our world, but maybe he overlooks me, cares about other people, but he doesn't think about me and my problems. This story shows us uh, the, per the personal nature of, of Jesus' love for us. All right, so whatever you have going on in your life, Jesus cares about it and he wants to be part of it. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you to a place where his will can be accomplished. That, that we need to understand that. This is incredibly personal. Third thing is this. Life without Jesus leads to destruction. These are really simple points here, but this is what we pull out and apply into our life. Not all destruction looks the same. All right, We can fall into the trap of thinking that oh, I've had seasons of my life uh, where I wasn't really with Jesus, and you know what? I'm still alive. Life was still good. Uh, but we get three different pictures of what life outside of Jesus is in this story. You have the man who's living alone. He's in pain. He's hurt. He, ha he has all these things. He, he has no family. No one, no one that feels like he's part of a community. Like that's life without Jesus before Jesus came. Funny enough, we, we have the pigs that like the demons go into and we see the ultimate picture of life without Jesus is destruction, is death. But I think even, even more than that, we see the townspeople and the destructive power of just living a life without Jesus. It's a life of apathy and fear, uh, of not caring for other people or having compassion for them. You care more about possessions and their value to someone else's life being changed. That's, what's ha that's what happens when we have life without Jesus. And this is where most people who don't 
have Jesus in their life, this is where they sit. Their life isn't necessarily completely falling apart. But they just are, they're lacking, they're lacking the compassion and the love that Jesus has and gives us. One more and, and we're done. Carrie, you can, you can come and help us end. Number four, we need to be willing to let go of what we know and walk to where Jesus is calling us. I wonder what other miracles we would have read about if the town instead invited Jesus and the disciples to stay. And if they stayed in that area for a week, what else would have happened in Mark chapter 5? And people brought their sick and loved ones out to be healed. And people listened as he taught and they allowed him to confront the injustices that were happening in their own town and around them. Like if they instead invited Jesus to be part of their area and say, we want, we want to spend time with you, we want to hear from you. What else would have happened? How many other lives could have been changed? How many other people could have been set free from spiritual bondage? How many other people would have been given a mission and a purpose to live for in life? Sometimes we see God move in someone else's life and, and we think it's, it's terrifying. Like maybe you hear a story uh, like Caleb where he was living nearby, he's local, and all of a sudden God says, hey, I want you to go and do this. And we see what's happening in Caleb's life and in his ministry as a missionary. And we're like, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to get called out of what I'm doing. I am comfortable where I am. I am more comfortable with what I have going on than the unknown that Jesus might call me to. And we look at what, he, what God's doing in other people's lives and we're like, you know what? I, uh, nah, no thank you. I, I'm fine where I am. I don't think I want to be pulled out of my comfort zone. This is huge for us. Like, I think this story gets skipped over because it's hard to find someone in the story we relate with. Like, well, I'm not Jesus. I also, I'm biased, but I don't really think I'm like the crazy guy in the hills that's running around hollering at the moon. Maybe some people think that of me, but, you know, and you're like, well, hopefully I'm not the pigs. So who am I in the story? And I think in this moment, we need to realize that more often than not, we find ourselves in the place of the, the townspeople. We're like, okay, that's great. I'm glad the guy's probably not crazy anymore, but you know what? Man, I, I don't want you to change my life that drastically. I'm pretty comfortable with my life. Yeah, I got things wrong with my life. There might be some demons that are in my life, you know, whatever that would mean. Maybe, that, maybe that's literally, spiritually, maybe it's just things that you're struggling with. Say, but I, I'm more comfortable with that than really stepping into the other side of this and having no idea what Jesus is going to call me to. So I want us to do this today. All right, I'm going to sum this up in 30 seconds. And you're probably like, man, I should have just walked in right now and caught this 30 seconds. All right, but for some of you, this is, this is what you need to hear. This 30 seconds. Jesus has all authority. He cares deeply about all of his creation. But he also cares so incredibly deeply about you. 
your problems, your life, you. He knows that your life without him won't ever satisfy you and will always leave you wanting more. And his hope is that you would trust him enough to follow his leading wherever it takes you, even when it seems uncomfortable and downright scary. Trust him. Can we stand together across this room? I'm not going to take a long time in this. I just, I want to pose this question to you. What does it look like for you to take a step in this direction? To trust Jesus a little bit more. Maybe there's already something in your life that you know that God's been asking you to step out in faith in. An area that he wants you to trust him in. Maybe you felt like you're supposed to change careers and you don't know why because you've spent so much time doing this. And God is saying, would you just trust me? Maybe there's something major in your life that you've been struggling with and you are trying to control the situation because you feel like, if I can just control at least a little bit of it, you're not as scared. But in this moment, what God is saying is you need to let go of that, give this to me, and just trust me. So what does it look like for you to take a step in this direction? To trust Jesus more than what you do right now. What do you need to do to do that? What area in your life does he want to confront sin? What area of your life does he want to call you to something greater? I want to just pray over us that we would be willing to take these steps. I want you right now where you are just to begin to think about what is it that you need to kind of be holding in your hands and offering to God as a sacrifice, as worship right now, just saying, God, this area is yours. I've been hanging on to it, but it's yours. So God, this morning, I pray for every single one of us. I pray for every person in this room, for every situation. God, these areas where we haven't completely trusted you, where we've tried to keep our control, where we've wanted things to happen a certain way, God, I pray that we would just trust you. God, give us the courage, give us the strength, the faithfulness to just take one step this week and then another step and another step and begin to walk closer to you where we trust you more. Last thing before we go, if there's anyone in here today and you feel like you have never made a decision to trust Jesus, that that up until this point, your life has kind of just been you living your life the way that you see fit, but today you want to make a decision and say, God, I, I want to trust you completely. I want to hand my life over to you and I want to begin to live in a way that honors and glorifies you that is based on this trust that I have. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up this morning? Yep. Yeah. 
If this is a decision that you're thinking about, maybe you're feeling just kind of a struggle, like, I, I don't really know what's going on, and I don't like to commit to something, I don't know what's happening, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you this week. And sit down. I'm not going to force you to do anything. Don't worry about that. Jesus, we trust you. Can we just say this across this room? Can you just repeat after me this morning? Jesus, forgive me for my mistakes. I want to trust you with everything in my life. Help me to live for you. Amen. I want us this week just to begin to look for opportunities where God is calling us to step out. And I believe that right now, that in this room, that every single person that's in this room will have an opportunity this week. And we need to be sensitive to God's voice. And I want to challenge you, when you feel like God is speaking something to you, trust him and step out. Trust him and step out. Just see what happens. What more could happen in your life if we gave God that opportunity? All right. Thanks for being here today, guys. You guys are dismissed.